0: Hey, g'day. How are we going? How are we going? Bit rainy, isn't it? Imagine being out in that. Someone before the service I was talking to and were like, yeah, it's really raining. It's like if you lay on your back out there with your mouth open, you're going to drown. That's a measure of, of rain. So handy hint, if you want to lay out in the rain on the grass, lay face down but keep your face a little bit above the grass level and you're going to be okay. Just in case, you know, handy hints. That we're, I've got a lot of those. Hey, um, when I was writing um, this message um, early last week for Ephesians 3, I was trying to create some lineal thing where it kind of started here and it goes through point A, B, C, D, E, F, G, connect the PowerPoint slides to it, and um, it all kind of matches up. When I went, I went away um, fishing in Twisel with my son-in-law for a few days and got back yesterday... I thought that when I was there, I'd be thinking about it, and in the downtime, I'd be kind of working it through and making sure it all works, and I didn't. Fishing is one of those soul focus kind of things. When I got back and I had a look at it yesterday afternoon evening, and then again this morning, it's like, it's not lineal. It kind of, how does the PowerPoint match up with what I'm trying to say? And it seems to be kind of all over the place. And I was a little bit concerned about that. And I even expressed that to Dre before the service. I said, oh, I think it'll be okay. I'm not sure whether I'm going to be leading with my words on the computer or leading with the PowerPoint. Because it just seemed a little bit weird. And then as I was sitting there, I had this little revelation too. It's not just you, Pastor Dre. The whole book of Ephesians is not lineal. It's really cyclical. It goes round, and it moves on a bit. Then it comes back to the point and addresses it again in a slightly different way, and it goes round and around and around like this. And I was really excited because that's how my brain works. I don't have a point A to point Z, and it's all ticked off in between. Um, My family will tell you, I am all over the place. I have these random synapses flying off all the time, and my greatest discipline is when I'm in a situation like this, don't say that thing that just came into your head. It's really hard work, because some of it's terrible. The thoughts that go through my mind. Anyway, before I kick into Ephesians 3, and this is part of it, one of the wonderful things about Ephesians is Paul is trying to explain not only the generosity and the grace of God, but also where we sit in that and how he sees us. My son-in-law and I, we went uh, down to Twizel fishing, looking for trout and salmon. We came back, I think, with five salmon, was it? Four salmon. uh, A couple were released, I think. Four salmon and one Trout. The trout was 17 pounds, it was a giant. It was as like big as a toddler. And uh, if you want to see it, you can ask my son-in-law, Jerry. He may even show you the photo. It was a very successful fishing trip, except for one minor detail. He caught all of them. Now, when he first started dating my daughter, and back in the very early days, Jerry was a guy who thought it was cool to impress people by turning up and meeting the parents for the first time wearing rollerblades. He was also a guy who was into online gaming and very good at it, I'm sure. And I think I was pretty much responsible for taking him fishing and seeing what made this guy tick and have a little kind of get-to-know-each-other thing and see if he could pick it up. This weekend he caught, I don't know how many it was, what was it, you you can say, don't be be proud. Um, It was probably about six or seven salmon ultimately, and this one humongous trout. I was fishing in the same place, pretty much at the same time, I was using the same lures he was catching on. I was even watching the apprentice's technique to see if he was doing something that Master didn't do. And I copied everything. I got nothing, nada, zilch. And I've got to tell you, I was really not happy. I was saying to Jerry, I'm done. I've got 32 fishing rods. I'm going to go home and I'm going to smash the flipping things. And I'm going to find a new hobby. Well, why am I telling you this? This is not a stand-up comedy routine, but it kind of is. Because when I was sitting here before... I was thinking about that, because it does weigh a little bit in the back of my mind, even though I should be preaching about something other. And God spoke to me very clearly, and he said, Mike, do you remember Luke chapter 6, verse 40? And I said, yeah, of course I do. I remember the whole Bible. So then I looked it up on Google while I was sitting there. It is my memory. I remember everything. And it says, a pupil is not greater than his master. Jesus said, but he will become like his master. And I took great comfort in that. Not that he's not greater, because I wish all my kids become greater in all ways than I am. You know, that's that's what you want to see happen. But what I took comfort in was that Jesus was saying, that is not how we measure things. The fact that he catches more salmon and trout than me doesn't mean he's a better person or a greater person. It's just he had success and I didn't. And it should have nothing to do with my value as a person and my self-esteem. But I was taking a hammering when we were down on that river. I was thinking, I am such a loser. You know, I'm going to go home and smash my fishing rods. And I said to him, I'm going to start playing golf. And he says, do you play golf? And I said, never. And I don't even like it, but I'm willing to give it a crack. So, but what I love about it is how it dovetails so well into Ephesians. No student is greater than his master, but he will become like. In other words, Jesus was saying, it's not about your abilities or your achievements. It's about all people are equal in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you catch seven and the other guy catches zero. It doesn't say anything about your value as a person in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's such a relief. I feel so much better. Seriously, all jokes aside, I thought... Oh yeah, I kind of forgot that. I guess that is where you're going with Ephesians chapter 3. So we have a PowerPoint somewhere, I hope. So before we start Ephesians 3, um, Jordan Jones uh, spoke last week on Ephesians 2 and she did a masterful job. And I joked with her before the service and I says, oh, how are you going? Yeah, yeah, good to go. Yeah, I'm on today. Yeah, right. You dropped me in it last week and you left me half of ephesians 2 and she's oh i'm sorry i didn't and i'm saying no, no i'm just having you on because what you find in ephesians 2 and i'm not even going to work through that but there's some highlighted parts if you just want to glance at it there's some highlighted parts there because this cyclical nature that goes through ephesians like this is in ephesians 2 the second half and then it starts to pick up and he says it again in ephesians 3 and on it goes And that's when I started to realise that Paul has one job to do, pretty much, when he's in prison and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to the believers, he has one job. And that's why he keeps, how can I say this again? How can I go over this in a slightly different way, same, same, but different? And this is what he's doing. So um, I give a nod to Jordan. She did a great job last week and it really helped me to sort of think, where am I going with this? Initially, I was concerned, oh, mine sounds just the same as hers. And then I thought, well, if that's Paul's intention that it's same, same, but different, that's okay. So that's what we're going to hear today. Notice some of those key words there. Separate, excluded, foreigners to the covenant of promise. You were an outsider, but now you've been brought near. One humanity out of two. God is taking two very separate strands of humanity, um, not different kind of humans. I think the Neanderthal thing had kind of finished, but he was taking different cultural groups, different social groups, different economic groups, different ethnic groups. He was taking all of the above and saying, God is doing the work to make the two one. There is no separation, one new humanity. And now we both have access so let's kind of go from there, shall we? Mr. Rhee, um, you won't know him, but he's a friend of mine. Um, it's a part Asian name. And the reason I actually wanted to... I don't have a photo of him, so that's kind of, shall we say, an avatar. Um, but the reason I put him up there was because he's mentioned four times... Um, in the first half of Ephesians chapter 3, which is amazing. And I thought I'd mention that. Then I thought maybe it actually wasn't talking about him. Um, I thought, you know, Mike, you're just being a bit silly to get people's attention. And I don't do that. I like to just stick to the task at hand. So then I thought, no, it actually reminds me of a a, a woman that I know. Um, Her name was Miss Turi. And I think it was maybe talking about her, because it's mentioned four times in the first half of Ephesians 3. And so I thought, well, we need to kind of, you know, talk a little bit about her today. And then I thought, no, it's actually not talking about it. Agatha Christie, I mean, you know, it's dated, and a lot of people who are under 40 years of age have probably never read her, let alone heard of her. She wrote these amazing murder mysteries, and they were kind of like whodunits, and the whole thing is you think you got it figured out, and you're reading these books, and you're kind of hanging on, until the last few pages to see whether you got it right or not. And um, I never got it right, except when I read the last two or three pages before I read the rest of the story. Then I always got it correct. And I thought, well, it must be talking about those kind of mysteries then. It's like a whodunit thing in Ephesians chapter 3. But then I actually read it. Interesting, can I just say as a footnote... Ephesians, you could live in Ephesians and work from and teach and learn from Ephesians for the rest of your life. No problems at all. If you were stuck on an island and you only had the book of Ephesians, you're not going to run dry. It's six chapters. You can read it just moderately fast, and you can get through the whole book of Ephesians, chapters one through six, in 20 minutes. Can you believe that? 20 minutes. Um, And I was a little bit shocked because it seemed to me that it took far longer because you get bogged down on one verse for 20 minutes, no problems at all. But if you haven't read the book of Ephesians as a book rather than individual verses or chapters, it's not a bad idea to sit down in one sitting and read it from go to woe, 20 minutes um, if you are like me, and you get distracted, it might take half an hour because you know you've got to go and feed the chickens and put the jug on and just check what's on TV and things. But 20 minutes, and you get this wonderful kind of broad brushstroke overview of what is Paul trying to say, what is God using Paul for, locked in a prison, writing to the church at Ephesus. What is he trying to say? So there's an encouragement. But surely you've heard about the administration, the administration of God's grace. Paul is talking about that he has been given the administrative responsibility to make sure that people know what God is up to. From the time the Apostle Paul was Saul of Tarsus and he had a supernatural revelation of Christ when he was traveling on the road and was knocked off his horse and he was blind for a time and he had this supernatural encounter with God. And from that time, for some reason only known to God, he started to give Paul an understanding of this mystery. It was made known to him by revelation, as he's already written briefly. He could have actually said, as I've written in a number of places and in a number of books even outside of Ephesians. He had this revelation Paul called himself the worst of sinners. He said, I know who I am and what I am, and I am a rat bag. And the revelation of the mystery is that God said, but I have chosen you for a specific purpose. It doesn't matter what your qualifications are, how good you think you are, how bad you think you are, how educated you are, how influential you are, how wealthy you are, how handsome you are, though that has something to do with me, but it doesn't have anything to do with that for most people. It's that God decides to take this guy who was actually an educated, wealthy scumbag, If you don't like that term, I'm sorry, but that sums it up nicely. He wasn't a nice person. And the reason God chose him was so that God's grace and his love and his work and his acceptance of someone like Paul would make this whole point clearer. If Paul is going to talk about all are in Christ and it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've come from or what race you are or your background or your understandings or your status in society if all are accepted on the cross then what a great way to take someone like Paul and give him that revelation about himself personally and then do a number on Paul and deprogram him or reprogram him and work on his character and everything else and then say what I have done for you which is a mystery I now want you to explain that God is wanting to do for all people and I'm going to use you Paul As the primary mouthpiece or the initiator of this work that I'm wanting to do. And that's the mystery that Paul is talking about. It's not even so much what God wants to do, but how and why he chose as the most unlikely people to give him the greatest glory. So nobody could say to Paul, oh yeah, but Paul, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't feel accepted either. I mean, I am not welcome to approach that cross. And I certainly wouldn't be welcome to put my cup alongside the sacrifice of Christ because I've been so terrible. And Paul would say, guys, can we just take a minute here? Let me tell you what I was. Does that make sense? Sharers together in the promise. Ears together. Members together. That includes everybody who has the slightest notion, inkling, interest or drawing to the truth of the gospel that includes everybody it's all-encompassing it's not just for the people who have made some kind of formal decision to align with Christ and come here to church on Sunday morning that's the mystery is how did God do this he's made it so big and so broad and so possible and available for every single person Who has the slightest inclination to know more of the truth? God is in there like a rat up a drainpipe and takes advantage of the slightest movement in his direction and he draws all men and women to himself. I am the least of the Lord's people. This grace was given to me. Why? Because he was almost like the leading example. He was the first prototype really of what God was wanting to communicate to everybody it was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the boundless we all know what boundless is don't we it's the opposite of boundary isn't it boundary means there is a limit there is a cutoff point there is a place where you can go no further boundless means there is no boundary there is no limit There is no limit whatsoever to the things that God has for his people. Members together, shares together in the promise, the gift of God's grace. I was less than the least, but grace was given to me. And Paul says, do you kind of get where I'm coming from? Do you kind of hear, have you ever felt like you've been fishing for probably 60 years And this junior just outfished you to death over the weekend. I must be a total loser. Do you ever feel like that? And God says, no, 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 no. He had a good couple of days, but maybe next time it's your time, son. (laughs) But he was very lovely about it. He, He was so lovely about it. Can I just say, he didn't gloat. He felt sorry for me. The last two or three salmon he caught, he was even saying, oh, sorry, Dad. And I'm sitting there, and these words that have meant to have gone to the cross had to come back to the cross again. I was muttering under my breath. But his intent was that now through the church, and he's talking about the body of believers, not the building. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. The rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms, there's a whole lot of different scholars say different things. Some say, oh, it's just talking about the demons and Satan and the principalities and the powers of the air. Others say, oh, no, no, no. It's also talking about the angelic beings that are, shall we say, still on God's side. So the scholars, the campers out, whether it's this or that or, or both. But suffice to say, the manifold wisdom of God had a secret. He had a mystery. He had something that from the time of creation, he kept to himself, waiting till the right time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son to this earth. And he was waiting and holding this mystery, even keeping it from the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. They didn't know what God was planning. And it's been said before, I'm sure, But Satan was providing major opposition to Jesus when he was on the earth and trying to stop him from being the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for for centuries. Pulling out all the stops. And they killed him to stop him. If they had known that God's plan, which was in the manifold wisdom of God and was hidden for the ages past, if they had known that the whole plan was that when Christ was crucified and resurrected, this was opening up not just to the Jewish believers, but it was opening up to the whole Gentile world, the demons and Satan himself, they would have done their darndest to let Jesus stay alive. They would have protected him from anyone who wanted to kill him because when Christ came back from the dead and he resurrected and then you go through to the revelations Paul's had, which he's talking about here um, in the book of Ephesians 3, this thing has become way, way bigger. So God had kept it secret from ages past because he didn't want them finding out this glorious, generous, gracious plan. It's way bigger. It must have been really frustrating when they realised. Why do you think Paul got such opposition? Oh my gosh! What do you mean the whole world? Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So Paul had insight into the mystery of Christ. It happened on the road, um, on the road to uh, Emmaus or Damascus. I always confuse those two. Damascus. Thank you. I keep getting those two confused. They're probably quite different roads. It's like Colombo Street and Manchester Street. But anyway, he had the insight. There's nothing like passing on a revelation or an insight uh, from God to other people when you have personally experienced it and it's changed your own life. That's giving your testimony. That's sharing what God has done in your life. Not in a gloating, blowing off way, but just in a way that says, oh, my gosh. I understand what the good news really means. The mystery that was made known to be my revelation, I've already written briefly. My insight. He says, my insight into the mystery. What is your insight? If Paul is no greater than you, and you are no greater than me, and we're connected to the same God and the same Holy Spirit. And we understand some of the principles or the basics of salvation. What is the insight that God may have given you or may want to give to you that you can share with others that will change their lives? Because it's not just the domain of Paul. He might have been kind of one of the first runners on the block. But it's for all of us to say, God, what is the revelation that you have given to me or do you want me to understand for the sake of communicating it to others. Because that's what it's for. Seldom do we have a revelation or insight that is just for us. There can be a time in a season where you sit on it and you think about it and you maybe check with other wise people to make sure it's not just too much blue cheese on your pizza before you went to bed the night before. And make sure it's authentic. But there's a place for revelation to sit for a while. But generally, God doesn't tell you something just for you there's a time and place for sharing. I kind of jumped ahead, I've already talked about that. The mystery which for ages had been hidden was disclosed 2,000 years ago. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past were kept hidden in a God who created all things. And as I think about this, I was reflecting when I was first writing this, and I am thinking, how easily we still slip back into, ah, uh, if you knew what I was or what I thought or what I did, man, you wouldn't consider me equal with you. And we all think like that. We all have these little kind of things where we think, man, if people knew what I was or what I did or what I thought or my background and stuff, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. I'm not as good or as holy or as kind or as patient as everybody else. And we slip back into this kind of performance thing. Whereas Paul said, I was less than everybody else. I was the worst of worst, but God picked me up and has used me as the unveiler or the revealer of this mystery to humanity. It's got nothing to do with how well you fish or don't fish. Your value is still the same and many times we are guilty of whipping ourselves or letting other people whip us and condemn us and bring us down that we are not worthy, we are not equal and we're undoing what the cross was for. So what is the mystery? Well, I I hope that it's a little bit clearer than it was. I flicked into Matthew because I couldn't leave this one alone. Although Paul was in Ephesians and he was used by God to really kind of explain this thing, it's not like God hadn't been saying and doing and dropping these kind of hints to other people. It's highly unlikely because of the time frames that when the apostle Paul's in prison that he had the gospel of Matthew to read to get his ideas from. Pretty unlikely, hadn't been written, just so you know. But I just loved this parable of the workers in the vineyard, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, of course. But what I love about it is that the first people in, they wanted a job, he gave them a job, they started first thing in the morning, like sometime around six in the morning is when the day starts. They got a job and he says, I'll give you a denarius a day, which is a a normal day's wages. They were happy as, just to have a job, right? Then about three hours later, about nine o'clock, he went down again and he saw another bunch of guys and says, oh, what are you guys up to? Oh, do you want work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. I will pay you what I think is fear. He didn't say a denarius. He just said, I'll pay you what I think is fear. First lot, very clear, one denarius. Second lot, I'll pay you what I think is fear. Then he went to noon and about, uh, he went out again at noon, and about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. And at five o'clock, he went out, and he found some people still hanging around. He says, guys, why are you hanging around at five o'clock in the afternoon? Well, nobody's given us a job. Well, you guys go out and do, do the work as well in the vineyard. He didn't say, I'll pay you what is right, I'll pay you what is fair. So there's a progression. First lot, early in the morning, one denarius. Second, third lot, it's like, oh, I'll pay you what is fair. Towards the end at five o'clock, it's just go and do the work. Six o'clock is the end of the workday. So the last guys only worked an hour. The guys that started last, he decided he'd pay them first. That doesn't seem fair either. So the guys that started last only worked an hour. They got one denarius and they thought, sweet. Whole day's wages, one hour's work. The guys who worked half a day, they thought, oh, yeah, that's still pretty cool. But the guys that worked the whole day, they were really miffed. Because they're like, we worked the whole day for a long time, like 12 hours, in the hot sun, we slaved, and it was our work, pretty much. How come we're only getting the same as these guys? And the beautiful story is that the master said, well, didn't we agree at the start of the day and you were happy as then? Why are you upset now? Well, because these other guys worked half a day and these guys only worked one hour and they got the same as us. I mean, that, that means I'm less. No, it doesn't. Your value is still your value. If I want to raise other people whose circumstances or situation is different than yours or lower than yours, if I want to bless them the same as I blessed you, why have you got a problem with that? This is what equality is. If I want to be more generous, isn't it my money? Isn't it my vineyard? Isn't it my work? Isn't it my plan? Don't I have the freedom to bless as I want to? And if it seems like the guys that started at five o'clock are way more blessed than you, that's only your perception. Because they got the same pay you did. I'm just elevating everybody to say, it doesn't matter who you are what you've done or where you've come from or how old you are or how mature you are or how handsome you are. Well, handsome's a different one. It doesn't matter. I consider you all equal and equally worthy of reward. And I'm a generous employer. I'm a generous master. And if I want to bless your cotton socks, then I can. And if I want to bless his cotton socks instead of yours, Don't worry, it doesn't say anything about your value to me. And so when I look at this, I think, yeah, this is still what Paul is saying. It's the same principle. All are equal, and it's nothing to do with your track record. It's got nothing to do with your abilities. It's got nothing to do with how hard you worked. Now, build your abilities. Learn from your mistakes. Work hard. Grow. Mature. Develop. Become a master fisherman yourself. Go ahead and do all of that, but don't kid yourself that that makes you more special or more favoured in my eyes than the other guy, because that's not the gospel. People, if if you are feeling a little bit down or a little bit second class or you've been insulted and hurt and rejected, etc. etc. If you ever feel like that, you can't deny your feelings, and you can't deny your experiences. For you, it's so real, but let me tell you a greater reality, and this is the mystery. God does not see you like that. God sees you on the same level platform as everybody else, as the saints, as the great Old Testament prophets, as Paul. Christ said, we are joint heirs. We are co-inheritors. We are family. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. We are level... In status, because that is not the game that God is wanting to play. When God created mankind, all of the creation, He spoke it into existence. When He came to mankind, He said, Let us make man in our image. And He says, I will craft him, I will mold him, I will personally give attention to detail, I will take the clay and I will make man. I could have spoken him into existence but God wanted to say, you are esteemed more highly than anything in creation. And that ain't just talking about Adam. That's talking about humanity. And that's the mystery that Christ died and was resurrected to say you all matter. It doesn't matter your background, your present circumstances, the chatter that's going on in your head and heart. It's a real thing. But in God's perspective all of you are absolutely amazing. And God wants to pour out this unlimited, boundless love and care and protection upon you and total acceptance. And all we have to do is, in our hearts, say, could that be possible? Is it maybe true what this guy is saying? Is there a little flutter of excitement starting to happen in me? Is that something that God is saying? And it is. God is saying, yes. It's absolutely true. It's true what Mike is saying. He's an imperfect person saying it in perfect ways, but the principle is true. Respond to him. Come to Christ. Come as you are, not as you aren't. Do as you can, not as you can't. Just do what you can. Take the step that you can take, and I promise you will experience the generosity, the boundless generosity of God, and he will wrap you up in his arms and say, my daughter, my son... You are worthy because Jesus, the lamb who was slain, has made you worthy by his life. Not your righteousness. You ain't no goody two-shoes. I see behind your little masks. And so does God, and he loves you passionately. And that's the thing in Ephesians. It's all about God so accepts. It doesn't mean no change. It doesn't mean we don't have to learn and alter and things, but do it from inside the relationship. Don't get caught in thinking, I'm so dirty, I've got to have a wash before I take a shower. No, 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 just dive in dirt and all and let Jesus clean you up in the ways that he wants to. And can I just say as a footnote in finishing, be very careful that you don't look at another person and think they're better than you. In some way, you don't know. And be very careful that you don't look at someone and think, I'm better than them. You don't know. But as I said to a young lady a week or two ago, you will never look in the eyes of a person and not see Jesus looking back at you. Look for Jesus in the eyes of every person that you see because that reminds you that you are no lesser and you are no greater than anybody else. And the image of Christ is in every person and you'll be amazed at how you treat other people when you look for Jesus in that person whether they belong to a church or not whether you think they're heathens or not the stamp the presence the fingerprint of God is still in them it may need some drawing out and encouraging and a little pat on the head or a pat on the bottom from time to Oh, careful about that one it's against the law see these random synapses right sorry about that Um, but be Be very mindful that you cannot look at a person without seeing Jesus looking back at you, if you look for it. And you'll be surprised how attractive that is. And you'll be surprised at how it stops you being mean (laughs) to other people. Right, I think I'm done. Like I say, this was going to be a bit cyclical. Revealed mystery of Christ. We'll skip through because I've got excited and gone a bit longer than I intended. Partners of the promise. Partners of the promise. Even if you didn't place a cup there today, for whatever reason, there is a place for you. And guess what? We could come with a million cups and God would find a place to rest. According to the working of His power. It's not your power, it's not your effort. It's not your might, it's not your talent, it's not your good looks. It's all to do with the working of his power. His idea from the start, his idea that he hid from the principalities and powers for many, many years so they couldn't boycott the thing, and his idea that was fully released in Ephesians. Or realized in Ephesians. And the grace was given to Paul. To preach to the Gentiles, the unfathomable or the boundless witches of Christ. Your job too. Paul may have started a different kind of model. God used him in quite unique ways. You are unique as well, just like everybody else. And this was done in accordance with the eternal purpose of God. Good plan, eh? Stunning plan. What a mystery. Last one. You are no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. You're totally accepted. If you don't know that and you think, man, I need to know that, there's people you can talk to here. It's not that hard. Come and talk. If you need someone to pray with you about any of these issues, or even if it's touched on some of your own esteem issues, or some of your own private sort of hell or your own damage These people here can pray with you and walk you through. God bless you today, boundlessly.